So ladies and gentlemen, joining me today is an amazing guest. Her name is Krizia Rocha, but I know her as Kiki, and I think the rest of the world also knows her as Kiki. And she's just, she's vibrant, she's full of life, and she is full of love, and she's full of Christ's love. And that's the most important kind of love that anybody could really seek tell you a little bit about Chrysia. She is currently a missionary with the Culture Project, and previously she was a missionary with Maggie's Place, and our good Kiki studied kinesiology, which really has nothing to do with theology. And people think, okay, well, if you want to be really a really good Christian or whatever, you have to study theology, or if you want to love God, you have to study theology. It doesn't work that way. Um, so... With a degree in kinesiology, she went out to world to the world to help everyone around her. Hi, Kiki. Hi, Rita. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for being on the show. I'm super excited. You're officially my first guest on Catholic Girl on the radio. So, yay! <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Woohoo! Right. Okay. So, he this episode we were talking about love and marriage and what does it mean for the man to be the head of uh, the woman as Christ is the head of the church. But I know you have a lot of knowledge on theology of the body. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes. And it's so funny, Rita, that you mentioned, you know, in order for for us to be Catholic Christians, we, you know, we don't have to study theology. And it's so true. Except I found that um, in a funny way, me studying kinesiology, which is the study of the movement of the human body, right? Um, And other people know it as exercise science. My study of that has really kind of meshed with my love for theology of the body, being that I bring in like the love of the human body in an anatomical and physiological way, and then the the human body in a divine and sacred way, right? So it's just been so good for me to really dive into the teachings of theology of the body. And really, I got, I got more submersed into it once I entered the culture projects and received really amazing formation by uh, different Catholic leaders in in the realm of theology of the body and chastity. And, and I learned that JP too, you know, wrote these Wednesday audiences in a span of a couple decades. Um, and all of that was because the sexual revolution was, was happening and people were just aching to actually know the meaning of sex um, and the meaning of marriage and, and the meaning of our bodies, right? He saw this um, sort of disintegration in the culture. And so he brought forth these Wednesday audiences. And when he died, the, um, the church compiled them to then make theology of the body. And for those of you who are listening, these are the encyclicals that JP wrote. So if you are looking, if you want to look this up, you can just look up, you know, the Theology of the Body Encyclicals by JP and you'll be able to find them. So, okay. So tell us, what do you, what's your favorite part about Theology of the Body? Because I think a lot of people, I, I think most of my listeners don't know what it is. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so... Theology of the body really is, in most basic terms, it is a beautiful, it's a beautiful teaching that helps us understand that um, our bodies make, our bodies 
make visible the invisible, right? So the way that our body is created actually is a reflection of our unique soul and it's all integral. So I I believe sometimes we fall into this trap as, um, especially in your beginning years of like Christian formation. I know for me, it was definitely a, you know, developing thought like, okay, like is it, if we're Christian, do we believe that our bodies are just kind of like this cocoon? Like, is it just kind of, you know, housing our soul? And then once we die, we do away with it. It's like, no, actually your body is part of the plan. (laughs) Your body is made to be glorified um, here and then perfected and glorified in heaven. So that is really what theology of the body invites people to understand the beauty of um, being able to integrate all of that and being able to dive into the sacredness of our human sexuality and how we can become a gift to one another through our bodies um, and through the sacredness that is sexuality. You know, a few days ago, I was talking to someone and I had recommended Theology of the Body to to him to read. And he texted me a few days later and he's like, why don't they teach this at church? And he's like, why didn't I learn this when I was younger? This would have been really helpful when I was a teenager and now he is you know he's almost in his late 20s so to him it was like oh my god like why why don't i know this what do you say to that i feel you brother or sister whomever (laughs) it's been a struggle for me too knowing that as i was growing up in the church i was very much you know uh, a cultural traditional uh traditional in the sense that like it was Catholicism was something that I inherited from my grandparents and whatnot, but I didn't start living it until I really fell in love with theology of the body. And that's when um, I, I had to go back in retrospect and retrospect and, and, and think what your friends thought, like, why wasn't I taught this? You know, I, it would have saved me so much pain in my relationships, in my sexuality, in the way that I saw myself. And I believe that um, the church is definitely growing in that aspect and in the sharing. There's so many more ministries that are catering to this, um, yeah, to just souls in general. I wasn't a say to a population, but really all of us need this. Um, but I believe maybe a year, a few years back, it was still premature. And it could be, you know, I mean, this is just my suspicion. Uh, the church kind of figuring out a prudent way to share this and having it not be hypersexualized, because I, I believe sometimes it can kind of um, tear in that way. And we do need to be careful, of course, because I think sexuality is definitely something that really attracts um, listeners and viewers. And so if you start talking about sex and sex being holy, like, right, it, it yeah. is so good. But it does need, need to be integrated and tempered in knowing that um, JP2's mission with um, sharing the theology of the body really was, yes, to cement the fact that sex is sacred and it should be through the gift of ourselves that we give up, that we give of ourselves, but also that the human, the human being in of itself is a gift and sexuality is meant to be integrated into that. So you mentioned that it changed the way you looked at yourself. What's the difference between the way you look at yourself now and the way you looked at yourself before reading JP? This is a great question, Rita. I find that my time before theology of the body was a time of deep struggle with my own identity and with my body. It was a war against myself, really. And I know I'm not the only one, you know, and if you're out there listening to this, like I invite you into that struggle and to that 
um, that journey of, of, of discovering who you are. And, um, and so in reading Theology of the Body, I was able to really face how good I am, the goodness of me being me, of the goodness of me being created, good, <laughs> and how sacred my body is. I mean, as I can only speak to this as like a, a woman, um, but I do make space for all those men that may be struggling with uh, body image or whatnot. But I know for women, it's it's definitely something that we endure. And, and so I had kind of like this self-hatred against myself thinking like, well, Lord, like, why did you make me this way? But when I started, when I started really understanding and having it be part of my life, the fact that my body makes visible the invisible, I thought, wow, like that is amazing. That is something that I can thrive off of. And of course my humanity is still part of the healing process. And, um, it's a constant journey. You know, there's bad days and good days. But overall, this wonderful teaching has helped me really open myself up to accepting myself as a whole, as a gift to others. So what do you mean by making my my body, making myself visible, making it visible what was invisible? Yeah, so I think it, it really, in, most, in the most basic terms, it points to the uniqueness of everyone's soul um, and how... You know, in like in like theology, we learn that the soul animates the body. And so that's why when people die, there is a body that is lifeless. Right. It's not animated anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, And and the person doesn't seem like the person. Right. You're like, what happened? Where did they go? And so this really it's what it points to. It's like there is this unison in how the the most internal part of us, which is our soul, is is animated or animates the body and and you can see the uniqueness of that soul tangibly through your body so your body communicates your soul is is basically what it is you know i'm gonna flip this a little bit around i'm gonna talk about um have you read three to get married I haven't yet, but it's been on my book list for a little it, while with Fulton it's a, Sheen. Yeah, it's really good. I I love Fulton Sheen anyways. For those of you who don't know, Fulton Sheen is becoming a saint uh, very soon. Yes, he so is. We were really excited about that. But um, so one thing that I like that really kind of caught my attention or a thought is making the invisible visible. When two people come together, Jesus says that they become one. And for God put together, let no man take apart. Well, a child was invisible before, but is now visible and is one. It's literally the parents becoming one. And they are indivisible because you yeah. can't, you know, you can't separate the DNA, right? You can't right. break up a person and say, well, okay, this strand here, this strand there. Um so l- quite literally in a physical sense when we talk about apart from the soul and the body the other aspect of theology of the body you have the sexual aspect which you literally become one and what god has put together let no man take apart you can't take them apart so that one book recommended is theology uh, uh, apart from theology of the body is three to get married 
I love it. I, yeah, this is just a sign that I need to, and it's, I need to get to that because it's just Fulton Sheen, anything Fulton Sheen really like we recommend. It's so good. It's actually, uh, it's available for free on EWTN, EWTN. Yeah, that's right. That's the Catholic (laughs) channel. (laughs) I feel like I said, uh, uh, I added a letter or something. Yeah. yeah, no, it is. It should be EWTN. I <laughs> yeah, think that's right. Ready. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's on there for uh, for free. If you look up three to get married, you'll find it and you'll be able to to, to read it on the website. So it's cool. Um, another thing that I wanted to ask you, what is the Culture Project? Oh, yes. The Culture Project is a wonderful organization for all those who have not yet heard of it, that it has been created really from um, from the teachings of John Paul II and the theology of the body. Um, our foundress, Christina Barba, saw a need in the culture. She actually used to be a chastity speaker herself, um, but then realized why, why, um, actually, correction, she used to be um, a pro-life speaker in the sense that she used to talk about the evils of of abortion. And so she said to herself, why do people keep aborting? Oh, it's because they don't understand the sacredness of their bodies and sexuality and marriage. Let me get to that and use uh, Theology of the Body to really found like an organization. And so this organization is set out to restore the culture to be fully alive again um, through uh, talks uh, on sexual integrity, on chastity, on virtue and human dignity. And so um, young people get trained and go off on te- into teams into different cities and basically give these talks and, and have these authentic encounters with other young people. And it's changing lives, Rita. It's, it's an amazing thing. I love it. I, I honestly... Th- thought the same thing like when i keep thinking okay so why do people keep having abortions i I looked at it and i was like okay well if you think about it in a medical term let's say or an example would be if someone has a headache and they take tylenol well the headache kind of goes away but it doesn't solve why there is a headache could it be cancer could it be you know just a migraine you know what i mean so abortion to me is the the a person trying to get rid of a problem without diagnosing the problem so that the problem doesn't come up again exactly it's kind of like a band-aid um the inherent problem like the more deeper issue is going to be there you know um and that's going to be you know maybe the bad relationship you're in um or your family pressuring you or what have you and and women choose abortion for different reasons you know um so we actually talk about that and we give talks on on everything really like social media chastity it's just it's a great organization that is uh growing and there is a high demand um i believe we're gonna we're looking into opening up in another diocese soon god willing kiki i know that um i don't know if you want to talk about this now but i know you your mom contemplating abortion when she was pregnant with you do you want to do you want to go into the topic now Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we can pr- tell we can us your story. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So for all those that don't know, um, people actually, some people are actually abortion survivors and I'm one of them. Um, my mother, <laughs> yeah, praise the Lord. So my mother, she was pregnant with me and at 12 weeks and she was 12 weeks pregnant with me. Um, she and my father at the time were, uh, had set an appointment for an abortion facility and that Saturday morning, they actually arrived. And um, my mom actually told me this past year that she not only had the thought of aborting me and actually made it to the abortion facility, but she had aborted twice before. So I was going to be the third abortion total. And as she got there, you know, the Holy Spirit just really like gave her this surge of courage. And she realized like, what am I doing? This is my daughter who I'm meant to protect and guide and nurture, not, not kill. And so she ended up running away from there. She literally ran away, like through the streets of downtown LA and she didn't look back and praise God I'm here. And so is my mother. Um, but of course, all of that comes with healing because there's pain and trauma, you know? So my mom is, um, is post-abortive and she's always healing from that. I have two siblings who I've never met and I always have had the desire to, you know, discover who would they have been? Um, how would my life have been different? How would my identity, you know, have been different as, um, cause I, I always thought I was the eldest sibling, you know, my identity within my family. I mean, and that's not, that's not the case. Um, so there is kind of this yearning there, but of course, God's grace is always sufficient. You know, one of uh, one of my favorite stories is from Padre Pio. You of course know you of course know who Padre Pio is, but for those of you who don't know, Padre Pio was an Italian um, uh, was an Italian is an Italian saint, and he used to be able to know people's um, confessions or sins before they confessed. And this lady comes in. And she says, she's starting to confess. And he says, well, you basically you had an abortion. Um, and she said, I didn't know it was a sin. And he basically tells her that the person, that that baby that she was supposed to carry was, he had seen him in the Vatican wearing white. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> That is crazy. And so basically, like, he must have been the next pope. And obviously, obviously, God works around that and works around our decision. There's nothing that will stop God from getting to what he, you know, um, to reaching his goal. But we do have free will. And had she chosen yes, then her son would have been, uh, could have possibly been the next pope. And that's what I think of when, when I heard your story and you're talking about your siblings, who would they have been? Well, God had a plan for them. Mm-hmm. And um, that's uh, that's absolutely a beautiful story. And we're so thankful that you're actually here. And we're so thankful you're actually here on the show with us today. <laughs> me too, Rita. Thank you for allowing me to share. So uh, you also did missionary work through Maggie's Place. Can you tell us about that? Yes. Maggie's Place is a phenomenal organization that it, it basically summed up. It's a network of hospitality homes for homeless pregnant moms and their babies. And so as a missionary, I was a full-time in-staff volunteer, which means 
um, or in home volunteer, which means that I got to live in the home with the moms for a full year and serve them. And we adopted a life of simplicity and poverty um, so that we can be in solidarity with the moms. And it was a complete privilege to the point where I was able to witness a live birth. It was so, so amazing uh, to be able to see a mom bring life into this earth. Um, And it was also very healing for me, honestly, because, you know, this connection with my mom having aborted my two siblings, um, it was really like so redemptive for me to actually witness a birth and kind of like healing that part of my heart that um, just yearned to see my brothers and my sister or my brother or my sister or both, you know, um, here on earth. You know, I love the way that you refer to them as my siblings. I think it's a change from the current cultural society, which says, oh, well, it's just a it's not even a person yet or it's not it's just a baby. You know, like you could have said, oh, my mom aborted the babies, but you actually gave them life. You gave them an entity, basically. So just I just wanted to say that it's really beautiful the way you phrase things. So. How does this all tie into love and marriage, do you think, from your experience, from seeing all these homeless women giving birth, from seeing, um, talking about abortion, from being an abortion survivor? How does this tie into love and marriage? Yeah, well, I mean, Rita, I was brought up in Southeast LA to a um, to a single mom. You know, my mom did. She ended up being a single mother when I was actually born. As her and my biological father separated, I was brought up for a little bit for a, by a stepfather, but then she became a single mom for the rest of my childhood years, up to the point where you know I became an adult. And I cannot recall one marriage in my whole life that became an example for me. Um, my family was full of dysfunctionality. Uh, I saw it in the culture that I was surrounded by here in Southeast LA. Um, and then, you know, going to Maggie's place, it became very much more alive for me. I, I said, it's not only my life, like, oh my goodness, there, there are women out there who are experiencing the same, this poverty of relationships with, with good men, this, this, this poverty of like knowing thyself, you know, in the sacredness of their sexuality and they're giving of themselves in this way and then becoming wounded, um, as an effect, you know, and bringing forth a child without a father unfortunately of course there is support out there but that wound will be a forever wound and this is part of the cultural um you know uh like yeah just wounds and this is what what the culture project does full time tries to restore the culture back to life um and this is why i think I have really adopted um, just my my love for chastity, human sexuality, and marriage, and, and human dignity, and people as a mission, as my personal life mission. Um, what whatever the Lord calls me to do in different seasons of my life will always be oriented toward that. Um, I love it, and I think you know the. I can dare to say that most of the listeners on the on the radio show are of Lebanese descent, and thankfully, up until this point, the Lebanese family has been the center of the Lebanese society, and so we don't because of Lebanese laws and because of maybe Lebanese traditions, we don't have many broken homes, like in the case of. Uh, the, the bit of a culture here or maybe more of the, um, you know, the Latin culture that's uh, that's there. But it's 
it's heading in that direction, I feel, and it's escalating rather quickly with uh, people now trying to live together before they're married, with people um, just just having sex before really any like sexual relationships before they're married. And so with that, there's this Lebanese proverb that always comes up to my mind when I think about these things, which is you didn't die, you didn't see who died as a result of these actions and i think you know like the they tend to look at the western society and say okay this is progressive but from what i hear from you it wasn't a pleasant experience it wasn't something that you know you can say oh well i i grew up i'm already here i'm an adult i didn't need my dad and so forth Right. So I think you hit the nail on the head. And uh, just fun fact, there is um, a, a, a great Lebanese community in Mexico, actually, which I got to know. Um, so in some ways, we're kind of tied, which is so cool. But there's also a parallel between the Lebanese culture and, and the Hispanic culture in the sense that the, the Hispanic culture, the Latino culture is very much family oriented, except I believe that maybe um, it was hit with uh, the Western progressive uh, thoughts of, of marriage and relationships and love and sexuality and sex a little sooner than maybe the Lebanese culture was. I, I'm not sure, but I but I do I have seen those effects because growing up, even though in my own family there was so many like there was so much dysfunctionality and not really one sacramental marriage, um, there was still like this sense of unity with like wanting to stay within um, you know just like those family kind of um, borders and wanting to be able to honorably enter into marriage, um, even though some some people felt, but there was still that sense of like morality, you know? And now it's taken a whole nother toll. Um, and maybe it's because of the geographical um, nearness to the United States, which I know has a great influence in all other countries. You know, I also, so I grew up in a primarily Latino community, by the way. I don't know if you know this, but, uh, but growing up in California, generally growing up in California, you really, you grow up in a Latino community. Uh, but around me, I've like within my home, it's always a Lebanese community and it's always um, uh, we have our own community within our within the grand community. But as you know, Southern California is really a primarily Latino community to be honest. Right. Um, and so I saw a lot of these similarities that you're talking about at church. When I started going to, to mass in Spanish, I don't do you, do you know that I learned Spanish by going to mass? Oh, wow. No, that's amazing. Yeah. So, um, so <laughs> I just said that I can speak in Spanish right now for anyone who didn't understand that. Um, and, and that's basically why. But one thing that I noticed since we're talking a little bit about the Latino culture is a few a few years ago, a, a friend priest uh, sent me a picture that says it's it's been 500 years since the first since the first mass was celebrated in Mexico. And which is amazing. Wow. But but. It's been 2,000 years since the first Mass was celebrated in Lebanon. Wow, that is amazing. Because that's where it started. He celebrated it, you know, in our land. Um, so 
one thing that I tend to think maybe within within the Latin culture as a whole, there's also the residue of pagan cultures that were there before. Mm-hmm. And that could also be a contributing factor to what it was with the uh, with the native um, religions. And that shifts from that and the residue within those 500 years. You know what I mean? Yeah, of course. And I mean, I see this. There's still remnants of that, like you said. Remnants. Uh, that's yeah. the word I was looking for. Yeah, I mean, there is um, there is brujeria. There's other types of gods that um, people can work with. Witchcraft, in. by the way. Um, yes. Witchcraft, for anyone who's wondering what that was. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and you can see this. You can see this definitely in the culture. Um, and that's why Our Lady Guadalupe was also a very much like um, controversial thing at the time that she appeared to Juan Diego um but overall like this is something that really impassions me because I feel like um the United States because of the type of culture that is being kind of brewing here is really taking all other countries under its wing um and it's just destroying the family it's Uh, conquest it's conquest through media yes whereas conquest before was through um armies Today, conquest is through ideology. You, yeah, you put it beautifully. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, I also think that uh, going back, there really are a tremendous amount of similarities between the Latino uh, culture and the Lebanese culture or the Arab culture. And I, I really have to give, I think, uh, Muslims credit here. Mm-hmm. within the Lebanese community as well because because we both believe in one God because we share that similarity and because in both the Christian perspective and the Muslim perspective it's all like our culture is centered around God and, and it's present in everything we say and I think that really helped build a community within the Lebanese one um, as well so that's versus having like uh, witchcrafts or any other remnants. Um, by the way, speaking of Guadalupe, if anyone's interested, I did I did do a documentary for Our Lady of Guadalupe in um, and, and it's on YouTube and it's in Arabic for anyone who actually wants to learn more about her. So beautiful. Okay, so back to uh, back to you. I know that your year in the culture project is ending. What are your plans? Yes. Yes. So it is ending and it's a bittersweet feeling. I'm going to be taking on the, um, the new venture of speaking as a Catholic Latina speaker. Um, so I want to still keep doing what I'm currently doing, but use my own personal platform. Um, because I think that there is a need out there and I see the need in my own culture. So I want to be able to have, um, yeah, just be the, a face that people can relate to and see that there is a diversity in our church, you know? It's a beautiful face too. <laughs> Thank you. With really nice curly hair. <laughs> yes. You you know, girl, because you have curly hair too. Yeah. Oh, honey, it's an upkeep. Like, it really requires effort. I don't know. People are like, oh, did you wake up like this? Did you curl your hair? No. No, no. I did not curl. I did not spend seven hours trying to make this curl happen. Uh, 
but yes. So um, a Latino speaker, a Latina speaker, in uh, um, in our culture today, and it is it's very, very, very much needed. I feel um, not just in the Latin community, but everyone else. But I think having someone that you can relate to, that knows your thoughts, that knows your subculture within the you know the grand scheme of the american culture is very important yep yep exactly do you have a name for this do you have like a website or a name that your tentative name maybe that someone could look you up on yes which actually um makes way for me explain a little bit more so for for my speaking uh, for my speaking platform i'll be using the instagram um the kiki the brave so you can you can find me there kiki the brave and then on on the side i really will be diving into uh health and wellness and uh, mindset and self-worth with women uh so that they can really champion their dreams um and you can follow me there at the glorious brave woman if you wish so those two platforms i'll be using Yes, follow Kiki. Well, follow <laughs> Jesus, but follow Kiki on Instagram. <laughs> Thank you. Follow, follow Kiki, and then she will lead you to follow Jesus. So it's always a much better thing to do. All right, Kiki, thank you so much for being on my show today. It was a pleasure. It was a great, great, great pleasure to have you on. And I'm pretty sure we're gonna, you're going to be on the show uh, sometime soon again. So thank you so much for being here. And for anyone who's listening that wants to get in contact with me, you can, um, you can find me at The Word With Rita at the word right not the world Uh, add the word with rita and i will be with you with an exciting new episode next week thanks you guys